0: You're listening to an audio message from The Well. A gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. But today we're going to talk about Psalm 11. And I want us to, if we have we have that on the screen today, Bryce. let's stand together and read Psalm 11 together. It's a short one, which means you, know, you can be assured that I won't preach for an hour, okay? So <clears throat> this is not a long psalm, but it is a very... Some of the verses in there I think you will find very familiar to you, and they are, they are verses that are very pertinent to today. What are we going through today? You think about the last... Well, just the whole year of 2020 has been a little bit different, I bet, than on New Year's Eve when you thought about what 2020 was going to be like. Do you have, did you have any idea that we would be here today in July and have lived through half of the year of 2020 and experienced the things that we have experienced? Absolutely not. I'm probably one of the oldest people here, proud of it, but I have never been through any time like this in my entire lifetime. And you can probably, I'm sure you would and could say the exact same thing. Let's read this psalm together. They're not together. I'll read it for you. Don't worry. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? I want you, if you, with your Bible today, I want you to, if you write in your Bible, I want you to underline verse 3. An extremely important verse. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. (laughs) Let's pray as we tackle some of those interesting verses this morning, shall we? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Father, for this particular psalm, as, as short as it is, but yet the message in it, Father, seems to be so clear. And so we ask, Lord, that uh, as we look at that this morning, it would be something that as we live out the gospel in our own life, we might be encouraged to do so even a little bit more intently, uh, more fearlessly, and that, Father, we would would recognize your grace in our life today. Thank you for all you're going to do this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. you're visiting with us here this morning, we really welcome you to our church. Uh, like I say, this is a, a, a fun series to do when we get back into the Psalms after spending so much time in the New Testament as we've done so far this year. But to get back to the Psalms, yeah, like we said, if we do 10 a year, you can figure out how long it's going to take for us to go through the book of Psalms. So, Lord, you're going to have to give me 15 more years somehow to be able to help preach through this. <clears throat> Joe is on a well-deserved, I just want to keep saying that he's on a well-deserved sabbatical today. He has preached, last week he told us how many weeks in a row he preached. What was it, Eileen? Do you remember how many? It was a lot. He had not had a break for a long time. And so this is an opportunity for him to, to get away and to he and his wife have a great time together. But we, and I'm sure he will listen to this, so Joe, we're thinking about you today as you listen to this message, I hope that it helps you as well in the boonies of Colorado. You know, foundations are important. When I told you to underline verse 3, the foundation, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? You know, foundations are extremely important in life. You can think of myriads of illustrations, I think, of how to use the word foundation. Just some of them, <clears throat> the roads that we travel in this, in this county, in Adams County and Clay County and Hall County, We've only been here 20 years. We came from the state of Washington, and you had to literally search for a gravel road. (laughs) You had to, on purpose, go try to find a gravel road to drive out into the boonies, right? Well, we got here, and my gosh, gravel roads are everywhere. And when it rains, what happens to gravel roads? Soon we learned that the ruts that form in a gravel road are ruts that are going to keep you on the road. And when that foundation becomes weak, when it becomes mush, In in heavy rains, what happens? People slide off gravel roads. I mean, I had to learn, for sure, how to drive on roads such as that. Gravel roads are everywhere. Another idea is that the house, your foundation under your house, obviously, or the foundation that we have under this building, that is an obvious necessity. In order to build a building, you have to have something secure that it sits on. So that foundation is critical. Not only that it's level, but that it's strong and that it will last longer even than the building that's built on top of it. So foundation there is extremely important. What about our nation? You know, I asked you if you have ever experienced a year like you've, in your lifetime, like we've experienced this year, in our country, right? Things that you see on TV, things that you see on the news, things that you read about that are taking place in our nation, not just with the virus. That's been with us well much too long now right but the things that have taken place throughout our nation that seem to be from from just being able to observe what you see they seem to be rather destructive they seem to be tearing away at things that you and I have taken for granted for our entire lifetime and those are foundations nations are built on foundations israel in this psalm was built on a foundation of trust and about of what part God plays in that nation. And when they, came, when they went against that, what happened to Israel? You can read over and over and over again what happened to the nation of Israel when they turned away from what they knew was right. Bad things happen. And those bad things, you can call them bad things, I call them more like my challenges in order to bring people back to where they should be. When you watch... When you watch the things that are taking place in our nation today, what do you see? you see tearing down of things you see you see a lot of hatred you see a lot of of um, just some you know riotous looting type things some some total destruction of property all the things that that we take for granted that that are safe that we we have our homes we have our we have our, the ability to be safe in our homes because of, of the foundations that underpin this country. Okay? And every nation has them, but we happen to be Americans. And so when you see those foundations, when you see those begin to crumble or begin to, to get weak, what happens to a nation? A nation goes through some unbelievable changes and some unbelievable heartache because of the type of change that comes with that sort of thing. It can be be discouraging, it can be distressing to us, it can can make us angry, it can can cause us to get on our knees and pray, because these sort of things change the way we think about where we live. And it helps us understand that we just don't go through life helter-skelter as if there's absolutely no... No uh, job or requirements for me or for you in how to live in a society that we live in. Francis Schaeffer, if you've ever heard that author before, has been around a long time. He's not alive anymore. He wrote a book called How Should We Then Live? In other words, (coughs) after you recognize and accept what the gospel teaches and what the gospel uh, provides for you and for me, when we, when we grab on to that, that simple message, not, I hate to use the word simple, it's just more simply to understand, but it is not a simple message. It is a heartfelt, it took a, the life of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection to bring that about. That's not a simple thing. That's not anything that you or I have ever experienced. But because he did that for me and he did that for you, then if I take that into my life and say, yes, I want to be a follower of Jesus. So Francis Schaeffer in that book says, now that you have done that, how then should we live? What should our life be like after that point? That's why it's kind of important for those of you, and all of us, I hope, in this room have have done that, have planted your stake, have accepted Christ as your Savior, have recognized that the gospel is something that changes one person at a time and if everyone has done that you can plant a stake at some particular date in your life when you made that decision to follow him you couldn't do it when you were a baby you didn't know what that was you did it at a time when you understood what it was that Jesus did for us so how then should we live in a society that we were born into we weren't we're not in South America. We're not in Europe. We're not in Russia. We're not in China. We're not in all these various societies that teach and, 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 and believe different things. We are here in this little town of Hastings in the United States of America. And so when you, see, when you see these things happening around you, what do you do? And this is what brings us back to this Psalm 11, is because David was in that exact situation the first thing that, that I want to share with you today is like in verses 1 through 3, it talks about <clears throat> the advice that he was getting, that David was getting that was not good. Basically, they were saying to him, you should be afraid and you should run for the hills. What does it say? It says, "How in the Lord I take refuge, David says. How can you say to my soul, how can you tell me? That I should flee to the mountain like a bird, that I should run away. For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright of heart. What a powerful verse that is. That is an unbelievable picture of what happens when you have the war that goes on between good and evil. It's been with us since the garden, okay? It's not going away yet. Someday it will, but we are still in the midst of that where we have to take in messages from all sorts of different people, different ideas, different beliefs, different thoughts that people have. We have to somehow sort that through what is happening in our own minds because of our relationship with Christ. How am I supposed to respond and how am I supposed to detect and understand that what someone is telling me is bad advice. Bad advice is everywhere. (laughs) You and I have probably been guilty of, sometime in our life, giving somebody bad advice. But David is saying, why are you you telling me to run? Why do you want me to, to flee to the hills when this is probably a time when I should do exactly the opposite? Verse 1, he says, run. It's basically saying, run, David, run. That's wrong advice. And thank God he didn't run. Charles Spurgeon says this, David would rather dare the danger than exhibit a distrust distrust in the Lord his God. Verse 2, in today's language, you could say, like, look, (laughs) there's a gun loaded and it's pointed at your head. And you had better... Lit. Behold, the wicked bend the bow, which means they're getting ready to fire, right? They have fitted their arrow to the string. They're about ready to shoot. And who are they going to shoot at? Evil shoots at good. Evil looks for the righteous. The evil looks for those who trust in God and they want to shoot them with that arrow. Sometimes literally, but at least philosophically they do. So that's an important thing to understand. But verse 3, well, before we go on to verse 3, I just want to interject this. We need to be very careful, all of us, not just you, not just me. All of us need to be very careful what advice we do give people. Let's be very practical about that. Advice that you give to people can sometimes move them in a direction that is positive, but if it's not the, it's not the best advice or if, if it's bad advice, we move them in the wrong direction, right? That's exactly what they were trying to do to David. Run, get away. Things are bad here, just go. So, advice for today, for you to give advice to someone, for me to do so. You know, I think about what happened in Matthew chapter 16. That's one of the most fascinating passages to me. When Jesus started talking to Peter, what did he say? He says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and there are things that are going to happen to me in Jerusalem that are not good. In fact, we know what happened when he did go to Jerusalem. He was crucified. And what was Peter's reaction? Does anybody remember? What did Peter say? In in today's vernacular, he said, no way, man, that isn't going to happen. And then... What was Jesus' response to him? Get behind me, Satan. He took that extremely serious. Peter, that's bad advice. Don't give me that advice. Because I am on a mission that is not good advice. In fact, we know where that advice comes from. You are not... Peter, you are not setting your mind on things of God. You're setting your mind on things of man. Don't. And Peter was upset by that, obviously. And what happened to Peter? <laughs> he turned right around. He became a great, a great leader. But verse three is the one that I want us to concentrate. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now that is a that's such a Strange phrase, in a sense. But there, In other words, when the foundations begin to crumble under any particular situation, whether it be a national situation, or in this case, in Israel, what was happening during that time, David was having to flee from Saul, and Saul was after him. He was, you know, he was constantly being hunted down. And what if the foundations under us begin to crumble... What are the righteous supposed to do? Now, when I use the word righteous, I don't know if 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 I asked you, are you are you righteous? <laughs> I mean that seems so, I don't know, arrogant for me to answer yes. But what, what righteous means is that if a person is right with the Lord, God is the one who is righteous, right? God is the one who who through Jesus Christ allows us. To become righteous. Now that, you could talk about that all day. So when you talk about the righteous, in other words, when you t- basically just substitute the word believers. When you put believers in there, if, what do believers do if foundations begin to crumble around them? And that's the question David is asking. And what is David's answer? He says, no way, I'm not going anywhere. That's a key verse. If they're destroyed, what can they do? Again, this is coming from those who are giving David advice, but it is a great question for us today. What do we do? When you see things around you begin to crumble. Again, uh, one commentator says this, The word foundations refers to those things on which society rests or by which social order is sustained the great principles of truth and righteousness that uphold a society as the foundations on which an edifice rests. It is under these circumstances the advice is given here that the righteous should seek safety in flight. That advice has been, I think, I've been a Christian for almost, I shouldn't even tell you, almost 50 years, but I'm really only 51. I, I came to Jesus real early. No. but <laughs> <clears throat> So the, the advice that they gave David back then, I think I have seen in my experience in the church, my experience in, in getting to know a lot of believers and, and preaching in a lot of different areas and sharing with people and becoming, you know, just totally involved in Christian things in this country. I have seen some of that same sort of attitude that these guys wanted David to partake in. They wanted him to run. What does it mean to run? To run and flee means to get away from something, right? So if you see something that is bad, injustice, fraud, or whatever is going on around you, and when you see your own nation begin to change its personality, in a sense when it begins to do something different than it was founded to do, when you see that sort of stuff happening, oftentimes I have seen, depending on which church we were in at the time, people saying, yeah, we should step back. We preach Jesus, we preach him crucified, and that's all we preach. We are not involved in what goes on in society around us. And I think that is, that message is straight from the pit as far as I'm concerned. We have an, a responsibility as believers when we see that sort of stuff going on, not to, as David said, I'm not run. That is not, it may be unsafe for me to stay here. It may, be a, may bring about things in my life that I don't really like because of people that persecute me or whatever. So David says, no, I don't care what they say. I don't care what Saul does to me. I don't care what anybody does to me here. I am not going to run. And so when a a group of believers, when an attitude begins to set in where we should stand back and just allow evil to reign, to willingly run to the hills, you may not do it physically. I mean, it's a joke in our house. You know, Eileen says things are getting bad. We're going to move to Alaska and live in a cabin. (laughs) Deep inside, I know she would love to do that <laughs> because that's the. There's just something about that that is soothing. That gives you the ideas of being protected or being away from all these situations to have some sort of peace, to not have to be influenced anymore by what goes on around you. That we all get to that point, I think we do, right in our Christian life, where we see these things going on and say, well, "This is not. This is not sure, sure what I would support." So, But instead, the church oftentimes throughout history and maybe in the last 50 years has kind of shirked that responsibility to the point where where we're at today, can we lay any of that responsibility or can can we lay any of that blame upon the church? And the church is not a building. This is a nice building that we get to meet in. That's not the church. The church of Jesus Christ is made up of individual people. One stone upon another... To make a building so what is our responsibility how are we to live in the midst of a as Paul says he says that you live in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation and that's the way it was 2,000 years ago and that's the way it is today and that's the way it was for David even before Christ came to this world that's what David was going through thousands of years ago there's nothing new under the Sun Solomon says right there's nothing new that we there's nothing that we see around us that happens with us or with other people or with nations or with the world there's nothing that we see that we haven't seen before <clears throat> in that sense it just sometimes takes a little bit it puts on a different shirt it looks a little bit different than it did before but it's still exactly the same it is the effort to to uproot and destroy what God has created. And that's not just things. That's not just this world we live in, the earth. That's people on the earth. And so it's important for us to recognize when we see injustice, when we see things that prevail, where lies and fraud and things that we, you would say, I just want to run from that. It is scary to me. It is is annoying to me. It is something that I don't seem to have any power to change. And so I'm just going to go. <laughs> or sometimes you might say, Lord, maybe this is a good time for you to come for your church. <laughs> this is a good time for you to come so we can just all go, right? Wouldn't you like that? I would. But that's not, that's not the motivating, it is motivating, obviously, to think that we will be with him. But what does he expect until that moment? What does he expect from us? One guy said this. He said, this is good advice. He says, our presence in this world as gospel believers may be the very thing to counteract all those things I just listed, injustice, lies, fraud, cheating, destruction. Our presence in this world as gospel believers may be the very thing to to counteract this, to remain and face the evil, to try to make things right and better. David understood that. I think that's good advice for us today. Running is, you know, if you're going to flee from anything, what does Paul say to flee from? Flee from temptation. Flee from the devil. Flee from sin. You're going to run away. You and I are going to run away from anything. That's what we should run away from. We don't want anything to do with it. It is not part of the gospel life. Forgiveness is something that is not only not only happens the minute that you come into God's kingdom, but forgiveness is something that happens on a daily basis. Because what? Why? You and I are not yet to the point where we have. All that taken care of, and the sin nature is totally gone. <clears throat> it's still there. But what's also there, and David recognized this too, what's also there is a spirit that wants a Holy Spirit that wants you and me to live in such a way that it glorifies the Lord. Well, golly, that could be <laughs> we could list a million things of how a believer should glorify God. And you don't just glorify God by coming to church on Sunday morning and worshiping. That's definitely a good thing and a a positive thing. But what happens when we go, when we leave, when we go outside this building? What happens is that when our life, as Francis Schaeffer says, if I'm going to live in this society, wherever God has placed me, which happens to be here, then how am I supposed to live out there? It's easy to be kind of cool and friendly here and hug each other and all the things that we're supposed to do when believers gather together. That's a great, great time. It's something that, what Scripture says, don't ever forsake the gathering together as believers. No matter how we do it, no matter how you and I do it, it has to continue, even if we're told you can't. Right? And there are millions, if not billions, in this world that are told, you cannot, you will not meet as believers, as Christians. And yet they do it anyway, right? So if you're going to disobey anything in society, you can disobey that one. You have a responsibility, I have a responsibility to gather somehow, however it may be, with people who believe like you and I do. Why? So that we can get help and assistance from each other we can get encouragement from each other we can we can kind of say we're not going to run we're not going to go hide we are here with a message and somehow that message has to get out and that if it has to be done secretly I guess that's how we do it whether that ever happens in this nation I don't know are we promised that it would never happen no but to run and just flee from it and leave it because we don't it's getting too hot what does that do? That does not enhance God's kingdom at all. And that takes courage, it takes wisdom, it takes, it takes making decisions that are right before him to do what I'm supposed to do in one situation after the other. Because our our life changes, our life experiences change. Things that you did 20 years ago, you probably aren't doing now. People that, that you are with or associated with may be different than they were 20 years ago. But in any situation, whatever that is, because it's, it's fluid. It's always changing. Where you work, it's always changing at work. Somebody new is being hired. Somebody's getting fired. Something's happening at your company to where you know, things get tough or whatever it might be. But in that fluid, moving, living environment that we live in, somehow we are to, to figure out how to respond the way David did. And he says, no way, I am not running. From this. So the last four the last four verses, four through seven, talk about the fact that we should stay. Good advice. We stay and we fight. I love Pastor Joe because he says, you know, I'm not necessarily a a big fighter. (laughs) Sometimes arguing or or just having an intense discussion about something sometimes can make me uncomfortable. But maybe that's just my nature. So I force myself oftentimes to be part of a, of a, of a conflict or to be part of a uh, resolving of a conflict, right? Whereas Joe says, hey, I love a fight. I, Pastor Joe says, I love a good fight, right? He even looks like he loves a good fight. I wouldn't want to meet him in an alley and have him angry with me. So it's like he likes that sort of thing. So everybody, all these little stones that make up this church, that make up this building, all of us are so unique and so different. There's not one person that's like another. There's not one person that's not, that is not a unique creation of God. And so you put all those together in a body of Christ. And what have you got? You've got a, a whole mixed-up bag of all kinds of different personalities Different backgrounds, different ways we think, different ways that we have been educated. All the things that have happened to us in our lifespan are totally, oftentimes, totally different. Even in this congregation right here, we are all super different in how we were raised, where we were raised, what we've done, the things that have bothered us, the things that we have had to conquer, the the sin that we've had to overcome, uh, the victories that we've had in our life the jobs that we've had, the people that we've married, the kids that we... All these things make us so unique, and yet, what does Paul say? You put that body together, and that body does something, is able to, to manifest the giftings that God gives to us in order to minister to each other. If we were all the same, oh gosh, wouldn't that be boring? I could not live in a room full of people like me. Everybody looked like... No way, I couldn't do that. And you wouldn't want that. We wouldn't want that. The world is unique. The world, you know, we've talked, there's so much message going on today that is so negative about people, about what we call races, what we call groups of individuals that are different than than me or different than someone else. Scripture has absolutely, there's no support whatsoever for for that sort of understanding of humankind. Our humankind goes all the way back. If you're a believer, you believe from Genesis to Revelation. And what happened in Genesis? It wasn't evolution. It was creation. It wasn't wasn't something that happened over millions of years. It was something that God did right there, and he created man, man and woman. And from that beginning spawned all these millions and billions of people that ended up in tribes or in nations or in in certain parts of the world where their characteristics begin to change. We probably shouldn't even use that word. Eileen and I were talking about that. She doesn't like that word race. Race is not something that that Scripture supports. It supports ethnos. It supports, in the Greek, or it supports nations. It, It supports differences in people, right, in the way they look. But we are all, I don't care what you're told, we are all the same family. And David... Recognize this, this little tiny piece of land in Israel, which is just, what, 50 miles wide and 75 miles long. It's just smaller than the state of New Jersey. So it's in that portion of the world is where God did so many important things. And David recognized that, and he was not going to, because it's like he could see in the future what would happen in fact, what would come through David is who? Through David comes Jesus. Through his line, through the line of Israel, through the line of David came Jesus. And of course, you ever wonder how many times, if you use the word Jesus, people always, like, they may have their head down doing something, and you say Jesus and they look right up. <laughs> right? I'm not saying it as a swear word. I'm saying it as, as a person, as when you talk about him, something particular happens. And in Israel, in David's time, when someone began to talk about Yahweh, talk about God, people listened. And they listened in a way that either they rejected him or they accepted him. Many of them hated him and wanted him gone, and that hasn't changed from that day till now. And how do people attack God? They attack the people who worship God. They attack people who love God, who call him their Lord. Spurgeon again says this. In verse 4, it says this The Lord is in his holy temple, the Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous. So he says this, What plots can men devise which Jesus will not discover? (laughs) Let me say that again. What plots can men devise that Jesus cannot and will not discover? Satan has doubtless desired to have us that he may sift us as wheat, but Jesus is in the temple praying for us, and how how can our faith fail? In fact, he says, What can the righteous do? David says, what can't the righteous do when the Lord God is still on his throne? <laughs> so as long as he's there, you and I have a safety net right there. He's been there. He's going to stay there. And if that's, that's the message. <laughs> so a key word in verse 5 is test. What does it mean to be tested? Those of you who, you know, have done high school, college, or whatever, you know what a test is. But it... Scripture talks about testing. In fact, James says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials or testings. And it it boldly says, God tests, but he never tempts us. He never tempts us to do wrong. He tests us, Scripture says. And why? Because James says what? What's What's the product that comes from From working through testings and trials, endurance comes, steadfastness comes, patience comes. And so, God doesn't promise that they won't be there. Sometimes I think, we think once we come to Christ, then everything is wonderful and we'll never have another problem in our life again. But oftentimes, it it even gets worse. (laughs) He never tempts. 1 Corinthians 10.13, let me read that verse for you. You've probably heard this before. And I, I don't think I'm taking it out of context, just to read a verse. I know it's tough to do sometimes. It says, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Do we really, really... Do we really believe that? Because those temptations come not from him. Those temptations come from around us to do things, to say things, to believe things, to participate in things that would tempt us to go away from him. He provides. He always, always provides a way of escape. There's no tempting from him. Verses 6 and 7 are really a pretty simple message, and I love the way this whole scripture ends. This whole psalm says, let him rain coals on the wicked. I mean, if you're talking about, you know, churches don't like too much talking about fire and brimstone, right? It's not something we, that we preach every Sunday if you don't believe you're going to go to hell and that's it. So that's the message and so live with it, right? So we get a, sometimes we get uncomfortable sharing those sort of things. But when God says it, then I, I really listen because he says this, let, let him rain coals on the wicked Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. (laughs) I mean, what more encouragement than that do we need? That we will behold. That's an awesome phrase, to behold the face of God. And you may not have seen God face to face. That isn't necessarily what it's talking about. Someday... We will see him as he is. We will really see him as he is because right now we kind of, it's kind of veiled. It's like we're behind a shade, we're behind something dark. We can't quite see him right smack in his face. Someday that will happen. But there's something more when he says, in this present life, we have an opportunity to behold and to be upright and to behold the face of God. And to sit, in other words, to see him respond. And you and I do those things that he calls us to do, support those things that we know are true, to share that gospel of Jesus Christ with someone else, to proclaim always that that has never changed from the day the gospel began. It has never changed. And Paul says, if anybody changes it, let them be accursed. (laughs) Right? Do not change the message of the gospel, Paul says. It's everlasting. It lasts forever. And if we change it, we ruin it. If man sticks his finger in anything, it's usually to ruin it. The gospel message is the same then and it's the same today. Those who love him, the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. He loves it when we do things that are pleasing to him. Then the upright shall behold his face. You know that we celebrate, that's basically the end of the message. We celebrate Communion every Sunday, the Lord's table. And I, I thought about as we prepare for that today, and it in a sense ends this message as well, is when you look at Matthew twenty-six thirty-nine, when he was praying in the garden, what did Jesus say? He said, "Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, let your will, your will be done, not mine. So when you see in verse 6 this hot, fiery, brimstone uh, message of what happens to the wicked, what does it say at the end? Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. In other words, there's, there's quite a picture in this word cup. We, we take, you know, as often as we, as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We do this in remembrance of him. And yet he, on purpose, said, Lord, this cup is a heavy cup. I, if, I, if it could pass and I wouldn't have to go through this, that would be awesome. But not my will, but yours be done so if he hadn't done that you and I of all men and women would be most miserable right that cup that's the good cup we should remember that he referred to himself as living water he's the way the truth the life the good shepherd he lived all of those great I am's that he we sang about this morning I would encourage us, as, we, as you gather, as we participate in communion today, kind of maybe expand your thinking a little bit to, to how it applies to this psalm that we just talked about. In that, you and I rest on a firm, solid foundation. Nobody can destroy it. Nobody can change it. Nobody can destroy the building on top of it because of what he did. The gospel is, this, is, like I say, I hate to use the word simple when we talk about the gospel because it's anything but simple. It's miraculous. But the message is easy to get. Easy to grab onto. It doesn't take a theologian or a mastermind to figure out what the gospel means and that when Jesus came to this world, he did it for a reason, so that on the day that he said he was going to Jerusalem to die, And where Peter, a representation of mankind, said, oh, no, you're a good guy. I don't want that to happen to you. He said, don't change God's plan. And when he fulfilled God's plan, it was over. It is finished. And he was raised from the dead for our, Paul says, for our justification, for our being made right with God. So righteous, yeah, don't be afraid of the word righteous. It's a good word. It's not something that, makes, that is a pretentious thing to say. It is something when we have made right with him, that's exactly how he looks at us. You and I may not look at each other that way oftentimes because what we see is you know imperfect human beings mingling with one another, but God sees us through him. And that's perfect. So... As you partake today, you can stay in your, at your table, and we'll serve you there. Uh, there will be two people up front if you wanna come and pray with someone. Uh, this Psalm, I think, if anything, should direct our attention toward the goodness and faithfulness of God. We have strong, strong foundations that will never crumble. Rejoice in that. We should be glad, we should be excited, we should be happy to be believers because God has done something so miraculous for us. So let's close in prayer for this message anyway and then let's ask for God to continue to do a work. If this is a day that God is calling you to become one of his children, wow, don't hesitate. Communion is for believers. Communion is a representation of his broken body and shed blood and we recognize that as believers how important that is but if you've never accepted him or never have have made that step driven that stake in the ground and say yeah i want you in my life it's a good day to do it and it's also a good day to take first communion so let's pray father we thank you for your goodness to us we thank you lord for these words today we thank you for your psalm lord it's a it's a short psalm but what a powerful psalm father as we think about what's going on around us in this world we pray that we would not run, we would not flee to the hills, but we would stay. And if necessary, Father, we would, in that sense, we would fight for what is right. We thank you for your son. We thank you that your spirit gives us the ability to do just that. And as we partake today in communion, Lord, again, as we do it, as often as we do it, we do it in remembrance of him. So well, Thank you, Father, for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well. A gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com